You're listening to the Highbridge Podcast, celebrating the people, places, and history of the Highbridge area in Sedgemoor. This season is funded by SEED, which is a consortium of community organisations in Sedgemoor, comprising of Bridgewater Senior Citizens Forum, Bridgewater Town Council, Community Council for Somerset Homes in Sedgemoor, Somerset Film and Young Somerset, which is funded and supported by Arts Council England, Creative People in Places, Lottery Funding and the Arts Council. And a warm welcome from myself, Mel Turford, host of the Highbridge podcast. In this, our second edition, we'll be hearing from Corinne Curtis all about the Norman Project and we'll be hearing from Scott O'Hara about Seed Sedgemoor. Before we speak to Corinne Curtis about the Norman Project, let's try and set the scene. Here's Daniel Hawthorne. It all started during the first days of March 1897 when a howling southwesterly gale swept up the Bristol Channel bringing with it high seas, driving snow and sleet. Many ships soon found themselves in distress, among them the Norwegian bark, Nornen, which had tried to ride out the storm in the lee of the Lundy Roads, but had found her anchors dragging. She was being driven towards Barrow Mudflats. The crew desperately tried to save her, but were fighting a losing cause. When the mists cleared on the morning of March the 3rd, The crippled ship was spotted just off Gore Sands, her sails blown to rags by the gale. Down the ramp, to her aid, went the Burnham lifeboat, the John Godfrey Morris, which had been on station at the town for the last ten years. Launched down the rails on the jetty, the lifeboat with its crew of ten oarsmen battled through high seas and winds to the Nornan. Despite the gale, the lifeboat managed to get alongside the helpless ship, just as she was being driven onto the sands. The ship's crew of ten, together with their dog, were taken off by the lifeboat and landed safely at Burnham at three o'clock in the afternoon. The rescue is recorded on the honours board of rescues made by the three lifeboats at Burnham during the period from 1867 to 1930, and which today stands in the entrance to the Burnham RNLI station. So that sets the scene for the Norman Project. So I popped along to Apex Park where I met up with Corinne Curtis and asked her more about the project. The Norman Project is essentially um, creating a brand new theatrical production based on the story of the Norman which, which was wrecked off the coast of Barrow. Um, that happened in 1897, so next year will be the 125th anniversary. Um, so we're telling that story. Um, I'm a professional actor and puppeteer, but I'm developing as a producer to make sure that I can deliver this. So I won't be performing in it, I'll be producing, which is plenty enough. I'll go back to the beginning. Um, so I mentioned I lived away for a little while in London, and because I'm a massive geek, I was still keeping an eye on BurnhamOnSea.com because Burnham is my hometown, it's where I've grown up, um, I love it. And there was an article about uh, a councillor had proposed potentially using some of the Hinkley Point money to create an outdoor performance space at the apex. And I got very overexcited and thought, must show that there's a you know support for this and this is how it could be used if they want to put that into funding applications and things. And started thinking and thought, well, the, the shipwreck, I knew that there was a wreck, didn't know how it happened or anything like that, but I thought big, epic kind of story where you could have a mixture of professional performers and community cast, so you can have lots of community involvement. 
Um, and I sort of mentioned this to this councillor and they sort of went, oh, it was just an idea. Uh, and nothing more happened. During the pandemic, uh, I had a chat with Nick White at Wassail Theatre Company. So they are Somerset uh, Theatre Company. Um, and it's all kind of gone from there, really. I started looking into the story and it's just fantastic. It was a horrendous storm absolutely awful awful conditions it was snowing sleeting gale force winds a lot of ships were battered in the area and the Nornan tried to take um, shelter in the Lee of Lundy which being a local girl I know the name of Lundy and I go I know it's nearby but I'm geographically challenged it's about 40 miles that they were pushed by this storm from Lundy to Barrow and it is a genuine miracle that they weren't smashed to pieces on rocks um, and that they landed well, I say landed they got absolutely wedged um, it wasn't until the next morning that they were discovered when the mist cleared and the lifeboat at Burnham the John Godfrey Morris was launched and sent out and it took them hours because although the main storm had died down the winds were still horrendous um, but they reached them and all ten crew and their dog were rescued and I just love that there was a dog uh, I have lots of questions about this dog and also images of how on earth you got it from the ship to the lifeboat but not only were they rescued they were then brought ashore and given refuge by lots of locals in Barrow um, and the crew and the captain were so grateful they've given various artefacts to various families that sheltered them um, including the figurehead um, which then gave the name to Figurehead Cottage in Barrow and the figurehead is still in Barrow Village Hall. Um, we've also recently discovered through doing this project that someone has the ship's bell that their ancestors were given, which is just incredible. We're starting to get lots of sort of tangible links back to it now, which given it's 125 years ago almost is just amazing. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm really enjoying from this and I wanted to get out of it was was reaching into the community and I want us to have the opportunity to see a really high quality theatre production in our town we deserve the opportunity to have something really high quality but I also don't want to just rock up and be like I've made you a show be grateful um, I, and because it's such a local story it's so important to have that local voice in there which is why I decided to set it up the way that I have where we've held our um, local history talks with the brilliant John Strickland uh, which of course you came to which was fantastic um, and then we're having our making theatre workshops and then as part of the development process in January we'll have a professional cast and creative team creating the show um, but again community members whoever wants to come along is invited in you can come and take part in that see what we're making how we're making it and have your say in how our story is being told I think that's so important and then for the actual production itself will have a mixed um, cast so there'll be the, the professional cast supported by a community cast so again we've got that real local link into it um, but yeah as I say that all those connections that are coming out just from the history talks and just chatting about it to people the oddest people are going oh actually my great grandfather or oh, actually my cousin has and things like that and it's just amazing it's so exciting um, and really nice that um, so for John Strickland who runs the local um, history groups um, he's he's starting to get new information coming in because people who haven't previously engaged with local history are now seeing this and going, oh, well, I know something to do with that, which is just fantastic. So I feel like it 
whatever happens with the production, there will still be some legacy. We're, we're capturing more information that pretty soon will be lost. I love history. Um, I particularly like ancient history. Um, I'm not very interested in modern history in the sense of sort of like the world wars I did a lot of that at, at school but it was always the ancient history that I enjoyed um, was that it's the, the people that you're interested in and if you can highlight who they are what was important to them and why it was important but particularly with this story the lifeboat crew chose to go out into those conditions and put their lives at risk and for us to care about that we need to know what those lives were so that's why I'm really interested in digging around and, and finding out about them. But also I'm looking forward in the sense of having to plan a production, which now is going to be in summer 2023. But now I'm starting to think about the potential for other kind of local history stories. But also, like John said, recording those stories that are now. And I think that's a more complicated one because when it's so close to you time-wise, what is happening now that will become history soon? Um, is it just that in this particular moment in time I'm thinking about that thing? I kind of operate in the two, past and kind of future. You always know that there was a story there? Or? No, no, I barely even knew about the wreck, um, really. I, was, while I was living away, actually, I came back for a visit and my dad mentioned about this wreck and I was like, what are you talking about? So he took me out to see it. So I was just sort of vaguely curious about it and then, as I say, when I started thinking about a large-scale production that could, you know, facilitate community performers as well as professional performers, something on an epic scale. I thought, well, what's the story with the wreck then? If you go on the local Facebook pages, you'll see lots of people love taking photos of it, but they don't know what it's called, and they don't know where it's come from or why it's there, how long it's been there. So I started looking into it. I thought, oh, my God, this is a fantastic story. Why have we not heard about it? Why is it not one of those local legends that everyone knows about? And I think some people do, particularly those who are sort of descendants of, say, the Anderson family and things like that. You know, they, they have had some of those stories loosely handed down, but it's just been in passing by the sounds of it. But people seem to be fascinated, and it's such a great story, and people have so many questions, some of which we're not going to be able to answer, um, just because the the records no longer exist or have mysteriously vanished and things like that. There are a few mysteries surrounding this, um, which is quite intriguing. Where was the boat from again? Norway. So, so have you got, have, have you managed to make it, or have you, your team managed to connect with anyone that, that knows anything out there? Not so far. I did contact the Norwegian Maritime Authority last year when I started looking into it, and then didn't didn't have any response. So we know that it was Norwegian owned. It had a couple of owners prior to that. It was French built, um, and then it was bought by a company in Norway. We know that the captain was most likely Norwegian, um, and it was his dog. As for the crew, there is no information that we've been able to find so far. Um, and now the writer is starting her process, so she's starting to look into that side, because it's the side we know the least about. In terms of the crew, we just don't know. The records from the three weeks prior to the wreck don't exist. The records of the, the resulting investigation into the wreck 
have gone missing. Sounds like an ex-fire now. Interestingly, the captain had a subsequent ship which vanished. I don't know if he was really unlucky, completely inept, or a little bit dodgy. They don't know the movements for the, I think, about three weeks prior to the wreck, but they know that they were around this area. But theoretically, the, the crew could have been from anywhere in the world. Because sailors, you know, you would move from port to port, and particularly that kind of journey where you're going to to and from Norway and America, there's lots of chance to pick up sailors from all over the place, which is really nice for us, because it means we can play with who is in that, and we can hear lots of different voices, rather than just assuming everyone's Norwegian, therefore I've got to go to Norway and cast a load of Norwegian actors. We can have anyone from anywhere, which is wonderful. And going back to the past and present thing, it's really lovely to be able to draw parallels between what was happening in the past and what's happening now and what we think might have happened in the past. Because, again, this is a little bit of a soapbox moment. I love period dramas on TV, but I'm very sick of them being whitewashed. And I've had various conversations with people who go, oh, you can't just put them in when they weren't there. And when you say to them, black people have been in Britain for centuries, they kind of get a bit flustered. And so I don't want to be perpetuating that idea that all of our history is white, white, white. Um, and this is a fantastic opportunity to have all of those voices that would absolutely have been around at the time and would really have been in the seafaring community because that was a very multinational community Um, but also tying that in with now we have so many people of all backgrounds risking their lives to save people at sea and to save people at sea no matter what their background is Um, like the RNLI have been saying a lot in recent months you know our mission is to save lives at sea doesn't matter what that life is if it's at risk we're saving it and I think that's absolutely right would you say that your experience of living in going to school in Highbridge area and doing what you've done are, are, you, are you aware of other people that were in your year that have gone on to do things a, a lot of my friends have moved away and gone off and done other things um, yeah a huge variety and actually I think that's something that does need to be celebrated more um, is what people have gone off to do um, it's you know another way of saying look this is a place to be proud of leaving school and and having a load of children absolutely fine but that's not your only option Mm -hmm. um you know you have options you can have aspirations whereas i think now they are a lot better at those things of thinking outside the box and actually really encouraging people and if they don't know the answer saying well let's find someone who does i think having more stories from more people who have come from this area and come through that school saying, look, this is what I've done, this is an option, I think is so valuable. Um, And it's something that I'm trying to get in there and do. You generally go away to make things happen. And that, I feel like we're on the cusp of hopefully things happening here so people can come here to do things. And that's something I've been really keen on, is bringing people into Somerset. And also, you know, there has been a mass exodus of creatives from the industry but also from Somerset particularly you know back in 2012 I think it was was it 2011 thereabouts um, Somerset County Council axed 100% of the arts funding and so the Arts Council followed suit essentially it, it just really reinforced that creatives aren't welcome here that is very different now there is a lot more creatively happening in Somerset kind of as a reaction to that but it's been very very difficult 
I want to use this as an opportunity to pull some of those creatives back to Somerset and to show that we can make that work here. So with the Norland project, is there, is there an online blog? Is there a place people can, can keep coming back to and revisiting to find out pictures? Have you got an Instagram? Have you got Facebook? Yes. So we have Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for my sins. Um, it really is just social media at the moment. Um, as things progress, um, I will hopefully be developing a website and things like that. Up until relatively recently, it has just been me, is the Norman Project. Mm. Um, so there is a lot to it. Uh, so I'm doing all the marketing, I'm the casting director, I'm the producer, I'm community outreach, and you know, there are a lot of I, I've created a bit of a monster. Um, but now the, the writer, the director, designer, community outreach practitioner, they're on board, so those things will start to hand over to them. So if people go to Facebook, just put in the Norman Project? Yeah, N-O-R-N-E-N Project, um, and that's us. And it's the same on Twitter and Instagram. It's the same at Norman Project on all of them. And um, we also have an email address, which is nornanproject at gmail.com. So if anyone has any questions, they're more than welcome to get in touch that way. Thank you very much, Colin Curtis, for your time and uh, every success with the project. My pleasure. Thank you very much. So, running up towards Christmas, I popped along to the Cooper's Arms in Highbridge and met up with some other people that have been working on projects funded by Seed Sedgemoor. And I wanted to find out more about the actual organisation. So I spoke with Scott O'Hara, the director of Seed Sedgemoor. Hi, my name is Scott O'Hara. The evening that we've just finished, what was the title of that and what was it all about? Well, it was kind of a meeting of all of our interested people who've been pushing along creative arts activities in Highbridge over the last 12 months. So that's really two types of people. We have our sowers and growers who are the community members who put their hand up to say, yes, I want to help make Highbridge a more creative place and have been involved in setting what the priority is going to be for Highbridge arts projects and helping us choose which ones get commissioned. Uh, the other group of people are the artists and organisers who've actually been running those activities over the last 12 months. And the whole purpose of the meeting was to bring them together so they would meet each other, uh, find out about each other's projects, and very importantly, uh, help us work out how we can bring these projects together and create some kind of hub, creative hub for Highbridge that can carry forward uh, into the future. So your, your accent, you're, you're not from Somerset area? No, I'm from Australia. I originally grew up in Tasmania and lived most of my life in Sydney. And I've been living in the area here now for three years and working for Seed since January 2020. So what, what is Seed? What, what, what's so special about Seed? So Seed is a creative people and places project. There are 31 of those projects funded across the country by the Arts Council England. Um, Seed is the only one presently in the southwest, and our remit is Sedgemoor, and we exist to try and provide new opportunities for people in Sedgemoor to engage with arts and creativity and heritage, uh, with particular interest in focusing on people who don't normally engage with those kind of things. Now, that could be as an audience member, but it could also be as a participant. So our whole 
uh, way of operating is to try and find out why people don't uh, participate and put on activities they might be interested in and try to remove the barriers that prevent them from participating. Your pilot originally started in Highbridge, but you're, you're moving out and trying to expand across the Sedgemoor area. That's right. Um, it's, we're not a big enough team. Um, we don't have enough resources to simultaneously operate uh, across uh, Sedgemoor all at once, but we do do some Sedgemoor-wide projects, like our Front Garden Music Festival. Uh, and um, <clears throat> A few months ago, we had a project on... Uh, buses of Sedgemoor buses that went all over the place um, so we still do a fair bit of that. The next areas we're moving to in 2022 are Axbridge, Cheddar and the Polden villages Then in 2023 we'll be bringing our attention to Bridgewater They sound as though they all have very different needs because they're all different sizes and different locations Absolutely. And the way that we work is the first thing we do is try to find community members who will talk to us about their place, what it means to them, what its strengths are, what its identity is, and then also about what's missing and what they would quite like to do but isn't available in their area, or even things that maybe they've travelled to engage with or enjoyed elsewhere. And then we start to set with them priorities for things that could happen in their local community. And then we put out expressions of interest to artists to see if they are interested in making those things happen. And then you access funds that are available? Well, luckily, as I said, we've got quite um, solid funding from Arts Council England. And we leverage that against um, some other sources of income. So we have at the moment... Uh, a generous annual grant from Sedgemoor District Council. We also have been able to get funding from some parish and town councils as well. Uh, Burnham on Sea and Highbridge Town Council have have put money into seed this year, nearly twenty thousand uh, pounds. Most of which we are actually investing in a um, public art project uh, on the seafront wall at Burnham. Uh, and we will soon be launching a um, public uh, voting process where the three best proposals we've received will be put on exhibition and the public will be voting to see which one they actually want to see commissioned. They're making the art because they're going to decide what they want to look at. That's it. Essentially, it will be commissioned by the community rather than commissioned by seed. So we've gone through the consultation process and shortlisting process uh, and we have teams of uh, community representatives, our, our sowers and growers, members of the council and other people like that, looking at the long list to bring it down to the three that we're going to present to the community to make the choice. I look forward to seeing many of these projects happen over the next 12 months and the growth of seed across Sedgemoor with all the other projects that are about to happen. Yep, it's going to be a very exciting couple of years and uh, hopefully we'll be well on the way to our goal of making Sedgemoor a more creative place than it is today. Thanks very much, Scott. You're welcome. Good to talk to you. Recently I was invited to be a guest on BBC Somerset and was interviewed by Luke Knight. He wanted to find out more about the Highbridge podcast. We're on to the world of podcasts here on Connected, and we're taking a trip 
to the town of Highbridge. Uh, Mel Turford is the host of the Highbridge podcast and joins me now to tell us a little bit more. Evening to you, Mel. How are we? Good evening, Luke. Nice to hear from you. And you. Thank you for being here and talking all things podcasting. Now, it's a fascinating subject area in particular because it's, it's just very popular, isn't it? Everyone's listening to a podcast these days. It's the biggest growing uh, thing on the internet, apparently, at the present moment. Well, you're leaping on that bandwagon fully, aren't you, with the, the Highbridge <laughs> podcast, and, uh, and very rightly so, because Highbridge needs to be uh, put on the map if it wasn't already. So how did you start it, and what, what made you start it in the first place? Well, it all came about because um, an organisation called Seed in um, Somerset, Seed Sedgemoor, um, they they were looking for people to actually come forward with ideas. And I was one of many people that came forward. They were looking for creative ideas. So I came forward and suggested a podcast. And other people did theatre things. Some people had done painting, history things, and lots of different projects. And um, I just wanted to sort of tap in and, and sort of capture the atmosphere of, of what, Highbridge is what it what it's about and the history of not only the, what's gone but the history that's, that's currently being created by these projects and by people that currently live in Highbridge. Yes, because I found now no offence to anyone who lives in Burnham, but I feel like Burnham steals Highbridge's thunder a little bit at times because we've got Burnham and Highbridge Weekly News, we've got Burnham and Highbridge Railway Station. So, I mean, Highbridge needs to sort of get on the map a little bit more as an independent, doesn't it? Absolutely, and uh, and that's one of the reasons for doing the podcast and and why the organisation actually wanted to sort of fund lots of projects to promote Highbridge in particular. So we're very proud to be connected with Burnham on Sea, but we've got our own history as well and there's there's areas where the history actually laps over in both areas so a lot of people are very keen to sort of promote what Highbridge had to offer and what it still has to offer. Mm. So talk to me about a typical podcast then what would you sort of delve into or is it a different thing each week what sort of themes do you have? I try and try and go for different themes at different times. So I'm, I'm, I tend to be led by what what I get as feedback from the people of Highbridge. So if I'm looking for uh, something that maybe is uh, to do with a church, so that the first one I did was to do with um, Blues in the Pews project, which was a music project, uh, fantastic event once a month, and and I just thought what a great idea, Blues in the Pews. So I thought, well, that's in the Highbridge, and it's the sort of place that you wouldn't expect to have such an event. So that's one episode. Another episode will be about the Nornan project, uh, which is all about the uh, the shipwreck that happened down on the uh, Burnham coast. So we, we do sort of go over to Burnham side, but a lot of the events all connect with, with the families that lived in and around that area. Excellent. Well, we'll look out for that. Now, you are partnered up with a local group called Seed Somerset, aren't you? Tell us about that partnership. Yeah, Seed is, uh, is the Southwest Creative People and Places project for Sedgemoor. And... Um, what they're basically about is that everybody has the right and ability to be creative and they're just there to try and make that happen so they're looking all the time for people that have got projects that they want to reach out to the community and they sort of then source somewhere of getting some money to get it off the ground basically and, and make it work so they're looking for sort of they're, they're the bridges you so to speak they sort of make it happen I'm just the podcast side of things <laughs> um, there's lots of other things going on there's theatre productions there's, there's lots of art projects there's history things there's just a lot going on in Highbridge at the moment and you just need to to be like sort of around the area and you'll and on the Facebook pages and you'll see that there's things happening in Highbridge that have never happened before it's 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 great it's just great to see it here 
Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it's one thing knowing that there's a lot to go, a lot going on in Highbridge, but it's also another thing getting people to talk about those things. Have you got lots of friendly people to talk to and get involved with the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the people I speak to, they, the, most people, is, as you've probably found on the radio, nobody really wants to listen to what I've got to say. And it's just <laughs> like, yes, they do. You're a real person and you have real experience. And my angle is just, I, I don't care whether you've lived there for sort of just a couple of months or a couple of years or whether you've lived there all your life. You've got an experience and a view of what you like about Highbridge, so that's that's what I try to celebrate. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, we get that a lot here at BBC Radio Somerset as well when we call up people and just say, can you talk to us about this? And they say, you don't want to talk about that, do you? Really? Are you interested in that? It's like, yes, it's a story. It's not Obviously, it's nothing to them, really, because that's what they're involved in. But to us, it's a really interesting story, so you must get that all the time. Yes, I mean, I, I try and take the angle of... Um, I'm, I'm, I've got a real passion for genealogy, but my angle is not necessarily about just looking into the past. It's about creating the history of, of today. So what we what we're doing today is going to be history in the future so i look on using podcasts as a way of capturing those pieces of history that the future generations can actually listen to these people talking about and not just read about it in a book that's why i love radio and broadcasting generally is is just a great way of reaching people um sort of spiritually almost like because it's it's real voices real people you're not distracted you're just listening to a voice that's that's what it's all about isn't it and uh how how big a following have you got have you got a lot of people listening well at the present moment i only launched it at the beginning of last month so i'm up to uh, just about a hundred at the moment oh crikey um, that's great so, though. yeah i've been quite pleased considering that like it's not like i've got a massive tv campaign behind me or anything so <laughs> i've just thought if i can build on that each month i'll i'll be very happy Excellent. Well, it sounds like you're doing a great job, Mel. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the programme. If people want to explore this podcast, if they want to listen, how many episodes have you done so far? Where, where can people find it? Yep, there's one episode up there uh, at the moment. There'll be another one going up in the next seven days. You can find it at hybridgepodcast.transistor.fm or you can go to sedgemoremedia.com and you'll find the button on there. Or you can just find us on Facebook or Instagram or even YouTube and just put in the Highbridge Podcast and you'll find that I've put the audio up there as well. Excellent. Simple as that. Mel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the programme, talking about the Highbridge podcast. And actually, I don't say this very often, thank you for having such a crystal clear line. It has been wonderful <laughs> talking to you this <laughs> evening. I can tell you deal in broadcasting, radio and podcast, because you've got your own proper microphone and everything. It's been a glorious experience talking to someone in such crystal clear quality. Thank you very much, Luke. All the best for 2022 and have a lovely Christmas, Mel. And that brings us to an end of episode two of the Highbridge podcast. My thanks for this edition go to Corinne Curtis from The Nornan Project, Scott O'Hara from Seed Sedgemore, Luke Knight from BBC Somerset, and Daniel Hawthorne for his great introduction to The Nornan Project. The High Bridge Podcast, available on many popular podcast directories, distributed as The High Bridge Podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Podcast Google, Amazon Music and TuneIn.com. It can also be found at SedgemoreMedia.com and is hosted and found at hybridgepodcast.transistor.fm. Also available on your smart speakers. Just say the wait word to the speaker and say clearly, play the Highbridge podcast. <laughs>